Welcome to the Voice of Retail for the week of June 11, 2019. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, and this podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada and sponsored by Pure Litter, Canada's shipping company for courier and freight. Learn more at purelitter.com. In this episode, two exclusive feature interviews, both recorded live in person at the Pure Litter podcasting studio at RCC Store 2019. First, I chat with Kayleen Millard-Ruff, Vice President for Retail for Ottawa-based international retail Lee Valley Tools. We talk about Kayleen's rich background in retail, the unique culture and history of the brand, their differentiating merchandising and in-store experience. Next, one of Canada's premier retail statesmen, industry advocates and thought leaders, Willie Crew, global retail lead for KPMG and Retail Council of Canada's 29 inductee into the Retail Hall of Fame. Based here in Toronto with KPMG for 36 years, Canadian retail lead for the past 20 and global lead for the past 15, we chat about Willie's start on the sales floor with Harry Rosen, through to Willie's reflections on the state of modern retail, and the work still to be done, particularly in Canada, by retailers to effectively compete in modern retail. Last but not least, I'll cover off retail this week, including Hudson's Bay going private, rare full-length, a video interview with Amazon Worldwide Consumer Chief, Swedish Adventures in Canada, a harmonized approach to single-use plastics, Tokyo Smokes cross-country, Retail expansion, Walmart's overhaul of Jet.com, tough lessons from Tim Hortons. Loblaws pairs up with Toronto startup Flash Food and Metro launches e-grocery in Toronto. But first, let's listen to my interview with Kayleen from Lee Valley Tools. Kayleen, welcome to the Pure Leader Podcast Studio here at uh, Retail Council Canada Store 2019. How are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me. You and I have known each other for many years. Uh, you've now got a leadership position at Lee Valley Tools. We'll get to that uh, in a minute. But tell me more about how your your journey. How did you come to uh, Lee Valley Tools? What's your background in the retail industry? It's very not unlike mine. You've you've had a lot of different uh, different types of experiences. Tell me a bit about how you came, uh, your journey, and how you came to Lee Valley Tools. Well, the journey's been uh, probably a lifelong one, starting in stores with my grandmother uh, in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, where she was a store manager for Craig's and also a buyer for Craig's. It was a small re- retail chain in Saskatchewan. And as a kid, I used to get dressed up and go to the store with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. So if you start when you're about seven, <laughs> you find out that you find out that playing store in a real store is a hell of a lot more fun mm-hmm. than doing it in the basement with your girlfriends. So that started out pretty early, but uh, I think... Where my retail career really started for me was when I was with Dilex back in the day when the Poslins family was really driving the company. And I was with Fairweather and their leadership development program called the MAP program was built by Ken Blanchard and the leadership group at, at Dilex. And I had the I had the opportunity to be part of a Western Canada growth in retail, if you will, going through the retail management program at Fairweather, opening West Edmonton Mall, building out several new concept stores, really being part of a huge retail change in Canada during the 80s. And then later on, working with some really amazing people in retail, from Paul Walters to Mm -hmm. George Heller, um, and then actually as a director of education at RCC, and working with Deanne. Right. So you've, you've seen retail from all different angles, you know, from the store, from leadership, and then from Retail Council of Canada, which gives you a whole other different perspective on on, on that level of work. But now you're at Lee Valley Tools, which is a great Canadian company, great Canadian retailer based out of uh, Ottawa. I know it well. I'm born and raised in Ottawa, so natural to me. But for those who may know less about Lee Valley Tools, tell me uh, a bit about Lee Valley Tools. Well, it's another one of those Canadian iconic retailers, and unfortunately they're becoming fewer and far, far between. Uh, we just celebrated our 40th anniversary. 
Uh, the company was initially founded by uh, Leonard Lee and uh, Lorraine Lee and Robin Lee, employee number one, two, and three. And uh, one of our other employees, Judy Garbo, was probably employee number four. Mm. Um, so it's a company that has a long, long Canadian heritage. We have been focused on innovation and developing solutions for customers, whether it's around tools that we create ourselves in our Veritas line, mm. which is our own proprietary line of tools. One of the best, I would argue, the best woodworking tools sold in 40 countries, uh, as well as our own line of private product, private label products, if you want to call them that, yeah. from gardening to woodworking to tools. And uh, it's been a real honor to join the company. I've been there about two and a half years now. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a customer. Um, I shop uh, both for some gardening items. You have a catalog, which so you're actually in the catalog business as well as the internet business and, and stores from... I think stores now from coast to coast, right? You're in Vancouver, and you're now in the in the Quebec market right, as well. Right, yeah, we're in Laval. Yeah, you're in Laval, so that's great. It, you know, it's great to see that kind of expansion. Some of my most favorite kitchen tools are from Lee Valley, and I think not only in addition to doing a great job of making the tools as you described, but you you, you just curate in such an interesting way with with perspective. I think that's been a part of the success for really Lee Valley, and it's the Lee family, right? I mean. Robin, Robin himself feels like he writes the description some days, right? Well, some days he does, but to be honest, Robin approves probably almost 95% of all of the product that we bring to market. And it's very, very important uh, to the Lee family and also all of us at Lee Valley that the, the collection that we offer to customers is unique and really is true to our brand and our value proposition and that it solves something for the customer and that it helps the customer in some sort of a way. And it makes it even more of a challenge, frankly, to bring the right product to market mm. and stand behind it. I mean, the company has been founded on the principle of not just selling things, but uh, being innovative, solving problems, but also the idea of treating a customer like a friend. And what that means is you're not going to bring something to your friend mm. that you don't think has real value right. or meets a need. And then you have to be prepared to stand behind it. And with a lot of the products that we carry, there's a lot of knowledge in the marketplace that is sort of waning in certain pockets. Mm. Um, our commitment isn't just to the product, it's also to you know skill building. We have a large collection of seminars and workshops yeah. that we offer every year. Every store has a seminar room uh, where it's that's a fully equipped uh, wood shop where we teach people how to do things. And and my experience has been just watching you know hang out in the stores when I'm in Ottawa or actually one in Toronto is there's a real range of those experiences. So you have you have very amateur woodworkers just want to learn all the way to very skilled. Uh, carpenters who want to just you know polish their saw blade so to speak yeah. and, and and learn more from so it's a real community of, of experts eh? it is and you know what we're, we're so blessed with the fact that there's so many people who are so skilled and who see Lee Valley as an opportunity to share and transition those skills almost like and this is going to sound maybe a little dramatic but it's almost like a moral obligation mm. to share those skills and transition them and and it's really a privilege to be able to create those environments where people can do that yeah and to be able to have the resources and um, the tools and the budgets and the knowledge and the things that are all required to create that kind of an environment for the customer is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Let's talk about your, your specific role at uh, Lee Valley Tools. Uh, you're, oh, you oversee the retail stores. Is that a 
fair characterization? Yeah, I would say so. That's a fair characterization right now. My role is to be is the VP of retail. So my job is really trying to empower the stores and create the conditions for them to create the experience that we want. Mm. You know, we, we started out as a destination retailer renting stores, store spaces off the grid quite often in, you know, commercial real, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say commercial industrial real estate, mm. long prior to stores actually being built. Um, we were a cataloger. That is who we were. We were a cataloger. And initially, the reason for the stores was because of a postal strike. <laughs> and so That's a familiar note to uh, retailers in Canada, unfortunately. Right. So, But as a result of that strike, we, we were concerned about our customers' ability to obtain product and our associates' ability to produce product for the customer. I mean, a retailer is a lifestyle. It's an ecosystem, right? Sure, we're employing sure. people. We're contributing to the economy. So our first store, if you will, was um, basically creating an opportunity for people to purchase at our warehouse, one of our mm. warehouses in Ottawa. Mm. And from there, stores started to be started to be built. But if you think about it, at the time, we were a destination, and we were selling things to people who knew what to do with them. So going off the grid, industrial real estate, you know, we were the real concept of a showroom. Consumers distributing in Lee Valley, they were very similar retail concepts. I remember my first independent store purchase as a kid with my allowance that I saved for I don't even know how many how many weeks was that consumers just uh, right, right. so that model of showrooming truly existed mm. the stores were a place to pick up your purchase ask questions place a purchase but we were off the grid we were a destination we employed woodworkers who knew what they were doing it was almost like the original in some stores it was almost like the original social hub people would connect they'd hang out they'd talk they'd solve problems they'd you know, kibitz. Yeah. It was great in, in one aspect, but these people weren't necessarily trained on how to run a retail operation sure. or how to create the conditions for success for customers yeah. or how to train and develop staff. So, but the one thing that our staff has always been, has been really committed to honesty and good conversations and teaching customers and and just treating the customer like a friend was Mr. Lee's mandate. Mm. So that that is just in the lifeblood of the company. So as Lee Valley has evolved, and you think about the, I'll call it a skills gap, mm. that you know we keep talking about um, some of the environmental concerns we have in, in this country and on the planet, which mm. are totally, totally valid. Yeah. But we're also facing a skills gap. We're mm. facing a culture of instant satisfaction, of people not knowing how to do things, and people always relying on third party or disposability. And what's really nice to see is this focus on, I did it myself, and look what I made, and look at how, look what I created. And whether that's partially been driven by the DIY fascination, and not everybody having, you know, millions of dollars to hire third parties to do things for them, and how can I I do that myself? You know, coming from a bit of that background, I was Black & Decker for three years. That's right, I forgot. And you you start to understand the role of, of television you know that's one of the new things that it was just coming when I was a Black & Decker 20 plus years ago right um, you know you were just having home on HGTV home on garden and now people it's funny because it evolved from like okay go for I want to learn how to do things too I just want to watch people doing right. things and then hire do it for me versus DIY so yeah. it's it, it's been had an interesting impact on the culture it's almost like an unintended consequence of these these shows. Yeah, it, but you know what? I, I, what, I, what you take from that too. When I'm sitting in meetings or we're having debates at the office about how to do things, I have to force myself to always slow down and think about that. You know that 
culture of always be learning because part of the biggest challenge I think for retailers is our own stereotypes and our own buckets. I mean, we call it woodworking. But hey, you know what? Somebody's watching a, a DIY show on TV and decides that she wants to give her kitchen a refresh. She's not looking for woodworking. She's looking for how do I strip the stuff off my cabinets, add new hardware, add lighting. She's not calling it woodworking or DIY or whatever we as a retailer call it, mm. whatever category bucket in our hierarchy we've how dumped we're it in today, it. Yeah, what department, yeah, yeah. what GMM has it. We, we're, we have to think about what the customer is. And exactly to your point about... Um, about TV changing this whole movement. So what we're working on now is really trying to, you know, get that message out there that we're there to help you learn how to do things. Mm. And we've actually really ramped up a lot of free drop-in workshops and and demonstrations. Uh, we just finished mapping out a seven-month plan to create activities and engagement in the store that are totally free to our customers mm. just to say, hey, we're here. You know, good retail is... We're there to help you. We yeah. will show you how to do something. You don't have to buy it. Uh, just come in. We'll explain how it works, and we'll help you with it. And I think that's one of the things that we were known for in certain communities in woodworking and gardening that we're really trying to get known for today with the rest of, the, I'll call it the general public. Yeah, it's almost like transitioning from this is the place to go if you're a carpenter to <laughs> this is the place to go where you want to refresh your kitchen and learn a few things about how to do that, right? That's that's the transition totally. that feels like the brand is trying to... I remember going to Lee Valley in Edmonton with my dad when I was a kid and just sort of wandering around this neat collection of stuff and not really thinking about it. And my dad was an avid gardener, and my mom and dad are avid gardeners, so I remember getting caught up in all of that sort of thing, and I wasn't mm. really interested in gardening. But that was my perception of Lee Valley. And then years later, you know, wanting to refresh some furniture or looking for something to even do a display fixture in a store, going and buying hardware. And then when I met my husband, who is an avid woodworker, mm. then my perception of Lee Valley completely changed again. I saw it from a different side of things. Okay, okay so you're, you met your husband. Mm-hmm. He's an avid, avid woodworker. Yeah. And you come home and you say, hey, I might be able to join Lee Valley yeah, Tools. Yeah. That had to be a good conversation. <laughs> it was a great conversation. Yeah, <laughs> he, start, job, he started job, getting a catalog <laughs> out, making a list. Yeah, no kidding at all. And, and you know what was great about that, though? For me joining Lee Valley, um, because I'd been, what, how old was my son? Let's see, I don't know, 10 years old. So I we have a two-story wood shop. My husband and I built a wood shop. And, you know, we did it all ourselves. Mm. And and really, I wasn't that much interested in woodworking, but I was definitely interested in a new kitchen, a new dining table, and all the things that mm. his wood shop could give me that I wanted. <laughs> so my perception of the journey of shopping for woodworking was from that angle. Mm. So, but he, so joining Lee Valley was really interesting for me to see there's so many mm. other parts of woodworking that I hadn't been exposed to. There is a long-standing um, culture of hand tool woodworking and there's different groups out there mm. some who are who are you know artisans who are truly dedicated to preserving the idea of, of hand tool unplugged woodworking yeah. if you will which is amazing that they're true artisans mm. and then there's there's people who are sort of you know their power tool user about getting it done or the cabinet maker the contractor there's so many different genres of mm. woodworking and gardening for that matter that it's working at Lee Valley has been amazing to meet all of these people and see some of the different ways that they interact with us and you know you walk into an artist studio I, I was telling Robin this the other day uh, you walk into an artist studio in BC 
and there's there was all of these beautiful carvings and wall panels that had been done, and I was just taken taken aback by the beauty of the work. And the artist wasn't actually in that day, and the woman woman said, "Oh, are you visiting?" And I said, "Yes, I'm I'm from Ontario, but I just I wanted to get into the studio because the artwork in the window fascinated me." And she said, "Where are you from?" And I said, I'm from Ontario, but I've been visiting stores. And she said, oh, who do you work for? Lee mm-hmm. Valley. And she said, oh, my God, do you realize you make all of this possible? Wow. And she opened these double sliding doors, and there was a workshop in the back of the artist's studio with one of our carver's benches, all of our chisels, what a, a great whole story. ton of our... I got goosebumps. It was yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a great story. To be story. credited with actually being yeah. part of that. Of that outcome, right? Oh, my of that, gosh. Of, of a know, creator using uh, your... Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's the ultimate oh, it, fulfillment it of crazy. the vision, I'm sure, for, Rob, for Lee Robin Lee. Yourself. Yeah, it was just amazing. You know, I, I think of uh, last question or last couple of things to talk about. Uh, you know, we talk about gardening and gardening's having a, I think, a long run renaissance. More, more and more people want to grow their own food. Mm-hmm. Definitely seeing a lot of people wanting to be able to do the raised bed gardening and grow their own vegetables and grow their own herbs. Raised bed gardening. So that's yeah. when, when you can bring it in and it, it's a it's a plug and play, not plug and play, but it, it's, it's above so it's easy to get to. It's yeah. not rototilling Yeah, so soil. whether you're in a condo in downtown Toronto and you've yeah. got a balcony and you put a raised bed out in the balcony or you're like me, you're out in the country in Caledon. I have two raised beds on my deck because it keeps the deer and the bunnies away huh. and it's a heck of a lot easier to look after and there's a lot of, um, a lot of attention on the raised bed gardening and frankly we're getting a lot of parents coming in and doing it with their kids oh, too. Nice. I think we're all trying to combat the, the digital time that sure, our kids sure. are glued to and try and get them involved in things like that as well. Well listen, uh, you've been generous to your time. Thanks so much for sitting down with me here at the uh, Pure Leader Podcast Studio being on The Voice of Retail. Uh, such a treat. You and I have known each other for many years but it's such a treat to talk to you uh, and share your background and, and a little bit of Lee Valley with the listeners. So thanks again for, uh, for coming and I wish you all the best. You're welcome. Anytime. All right. Thank you. All right, Willie, welcome to the Pure Later Podcast Studio at Store 2019. Thanks for being on The Voice of Retail. How are you today? Everything's good, Michael. It's uh, exciting times. I was uh, excited to be on stage today. Well, you know, it's a great opportunity to talk about uh, your background, your history, how you came to be the global leader, because I think it's a great journey. I love to understand people's journey. So take us back a little bit. How did you, sure. what's, what's your career path and your journey? I'll talk a little bit about it tonight in my uh, duck tea speech, but uh, when I was 15, grade 10, I started on the sales floor for Harry Rosen. And um, I worked from the age of 15 right through my MBA working for Harry. And I think what I developed there, Michael, was an unbelievable appreciation of what professionalism looks like, what best-in-class retail looks like, and what somebody who just created the best menswear store in the world, Harry Rosen, looked like. Um, It also taught me a lot about life, being a teen on commission, Mm. uh, trying to compete with other adults also on commission on the sales floor. Um, and so it was uh, a great time. And, and what, what they had a little retiring party for me when I was, I think, 22 or 23 when I finished, mm. did my MBA. And Harry's great quote was, he said that I was a truly valued employee. Mm. And he stopped for a second. Then he said it was more for what I bought than what I sold. <laughs> so that's so you, are, you are a sharp dresser. I, and I love clothes. And that started my passion for retail. Mm. Um, and uh, I ended up at KPMG. It was the last thing I was going to do. Uh, I literally told people that 
I'm going to get my CA combined with my MBA, and then I'm out of there because I'm not spending five minutes with bean counters more than I have to. <laughs> Almost 36 years later, uh, it's been an unbelievable ride. Mm. And uh, I think my passion for retail, my passion for consumerism, um, has led me to leading it in Canada for the last almost 20 years and leading it globally uh, for almost the last 15 years. And um, it's been an unbelievable ride because I have been to every corner of the world. Um, I have relationships with some of the top, top CEOs on the planet. Um, I've got team members and partners everywhere, deep relationships that have really energized. And uh, I couldn't be more blessed. So three going on four decades of, of uh, providing advice to the right. retailers at the senior most level and, of course, on the floor at Harry Rosen. Right. Tell me a little bit about what, what are the most meaningful changes you've seen between over these 30 years as, as that's facing the retail <laughs> enterprise? Like what, some things are still the same. The customer is still king. Okay. You need to serve the customer. What, what is it that, that is modern retail? Well, um, so let me start by saying a macro statement. Things haven't changed enough, mm. uh, and uh, which is why I constantly have a wake-up call or tough love speech when I speak to this crowd. And it doesn't come from anything but immense affection because I wear Canada on my sleeve, and I'm frustrated by what I've seen mm. and do not see. Having said that, when I started as a 15-year-old, um, the point of sale system at Harry Rosen was Harry calling up every store every hour and going, what are the numbers? Mm. That was the point of sale system. We've moved and the CRM system was a little card that said Joe's birthday is January 8th or whatever. Yeah. We've moved significantly since then. Technology's had a large part of it. Analytics have had a large part of it. And understanding customer experience better and personalization better has had a large part of it. What frustrates me is that uh, as much as things have changed, again, they haven't changed fast enough. Most of the innovation in retail is happening in China. Mm. Most of the innovation in consumer space is happening in Asia. And we are not seeing enough of adoption of technology uh, in Canada. Um, we are still stuck in too many retailers having a boomer strategy. So they're, they're marketing to me because they believe I have all the money. What they are failing to understand or to research or, or analyze is who's spending the money. And as I said in my speech, The Perfect Storm, millennials are one of the revolutions that are transforming things, have created craft beer, Apple, Uber, Airbnb, mm -hmm. and retailers need to understand that demographic, those behaviors, and the fact that they are spending the money even though they don't have a lot of it. So one of the challenges, and I've been a retail operator as well, I used to talk about the diseconomy of scale. Um, I was at Hudson's Bay, and we're launching HBC.com, right. and it cost us the same amount to launch that website back in 2000 as my counterparts at Macy's. I call it the diseconomy of scale. Is that, you think that holds back Canadian retailers and retailers in Canada, or, or is it a, something more, something deeper? It, no. It, it, well, first of all, we are Canadian. We're truly Canadian. And, and I mean that with affection, but it also holds us back. Mm. So one of my soapboxes has been, and I've written about it forever, is that we don't go outside of Canada enough. We have great retail, great platforms, great brands. And outside of, you know, Lulu or Aritzia or Indochino's Aldo. Indochino's doing a pretty good and job. Indochino's doing a very good job. Mr. Green there is, is killing it. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to see 50 more brands, 50 mm. more retailers. I had EDC at one time in Asia beg me to get retailers to take their money. Mm. And nobody would. And so 
um, on one hand, there is that reticence. There is that belief that we can survive in a 37 million person country when there's so much competition. Mm. And so we're truly Canadian. And when we just did a recent CEO survey, we've done over the last two years, I spoke about it on stage, 75% of Canadian CEOs said the next two to three years are more transformational than the last 50. Mm. Yep, I believe that. I fully agree with that. Yet, yet, 75%, obviously a significant overlap, said, I'm okay, I'm going to be the same. It's that guy over there has to change. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying about truly Canadian. It's the lack of urgency. It's a lack of, of it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to execute. Mm. And I empathize with a mid to small retailer. I mean, it's expensive to... So, I was talking to a few of them um, this past week because I, I help retail council with their quarterly conditions right. report. So I get to talk to a, in a short 15 minutes, you know, what's on your mind, what's keeping you up. And one of the themes that came out was... You know, it feels like when I spend money on technology, all it's helping me do is keep up. I'm not getting a lot of output from it. Like, they're spending money on technology, but they weren't feeling like... But, but think of what that statement says. Hmm. If you don't spend money on technology, you're not even keeping up. Right. So, I mean, I, I don't understand that statement. Uh, your job is to be more than keep up. But you're just telling me, or telling you, hmm. that if I didn't spend the money... I wouldn't even keep up. And so what is your survival rate at that point? Hmm. Canada has become this beacon. I mean, you know, ranks in the top 10 of destinations for international right. retail. What, conversely, what makes Canada so attractive to so many international retailers? We've seen what, I pick a number, 50, not all target-sized, uh, ones or twos. But I'll, I'll give you my answer. What do you think it is? I'll well, tell you what it is. I think it's a good beta testing market for the global world because we're very That's diverse. Exactly community. right. That's yeah. exactly right. Mm. So it is. It's a testing market for entry into the U.S. Mm. It's a testing market for international entry. So if you're in the U.S. coming up here, you now have east-west supply chain. You now have uh, various tariffs to deal with. You've got VAT or GST to deal with. You've got different technologies. I mean, different platforms you need to work with, right. you've got legislation, all these things that are going to get you ready for a global push. If you're global, you come in here, you're closer to the U.S., similar language, similar things. But, so, but different enough to give you a feel for Different what enough to give you a feel. So, like, right? so yeah, so um, that's a large part of it. Mm. Plus, we're also an incredible market. We're a captive market. I mean, when they used to open up movie the you know, movies throughout the world, we were the fourth market they would do that in, other than the three. We are a great consumer market, a mm. truly great consumer market. So people, it's, it's, I don't want to diminish just by saying it's entry or whatever. Sure. We're a great market. It's just that there's so many competitors, and they keep coming. So top three things you would, or pieces of advice you would give to retailers or give to retailers today. We talked about the adoption and use of technology. What, uh, what other... What else would be in your top three things to do tomorrow? Okay. Um, one is analyze all demographics, but understand who is spending the money, not just who has the money, mm. and who is influencing the spend. Too many forget about the Gen X, which I spoke about a stage, because right. you look at boomers, you look at millennials, you forget the middle, who are the CEOs of today. And they're the, gen the first generation in the Western world in our lifetime that take care of their children and take care of their parents. Mm. So it's a very unique need, one for them, one for their parents, one for uh, uh, their children. Secondly, I would truly understand what experience means, what personalization means. Too many take a look at a category pick a category, not just demographic, right. and target that category as if it's homogeneous. The consumer today is saying, I need you to know me. 
on a personal level. So multiple paths. Multiple paths, not just a category I'm in. Right. I need you to know me. Mm-hmm. And that takes an element of sophistication, a deeper, wider way to look at the customer, which is why we did Me, My Life, My Wallet, which is layers of the onion, from motivation to how you connect with devices, to right. the watch, how much time you have to do things, mm-hmm. how you open and close your wallet, and your attention. Not just your attention span has changed, how do you focus your attention? You layer on behavioral science, not the graphic research. It takes effort to mm. truly understand the customer. Mm. And one of the things I showed on on, uh, on stage today is when you are looking and spending money, which we're talking about mid and lower size, there's a line that says, this is a customer's expectation. You don't need to go past it too far. Mm. Like, you don't need to have best in class, oh my God, I love you to death, because you're just spending money almost for nothing. Right. And you need to understand that. But if understand you Understand that marginal return on your investment. Right, right? but if you go below that, Michael, mm. you're 2x to the negative. Mm. So it's disproportionately punished, basically, for Completely. not meeting a standard. Or if you flip it the other way, my profit and revenue go up two times to my competitor if I focus on customer centricity and customer experience. Mm. So let me ask you a couple of last questions while we have time together. One is, um, if you were to start a retail today, a retail enterprise today, what would it look like? If you had no shortage of resources or uh, ambition, what would that retail store concept look like in your mind? Do you like the subscription market? Do you like the online with a few stores? Like what, 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 what do you think is the best mix? I would, um, I would definitely have a mix of online and bricks and mortar. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and I think you need both. I mean, Amazon bought Whole Foods and others for a, dis- a reason. You need that distribution. People do need to touch and feel. But it's online is only 10% of total retail right now. will grow exponentially, right. but you still need the bricks and mortar. I think where we're at is I really need to do a lot of work, and we help our clients with understanding mm-hmm. where do I place my stores? How big does that footprint need to be? Uh, how many stores do I need to have to truly optimize the combination of online and bricks and mortar? We in the Western world are significantly overstored. Sure. And so the last thing I'm going to want to do is just put a bevy of stores everywhere. Right. And and so I would encourage anybody who's moving to growth, whatever, plan. And mm-hmm. when you stop planning, plan some more. Huh. You know? And, and too few, it's... And I think also... Um, it's not quite answering the question, but too many CEOs are still doing it not by, I was a legend or I've incredibly well over the last 30 years, I know what I'm doing. What worked before will work again. And it doesn't. Right. And it doesn't. Well, speaking of work, what's next for you? Um, I am, uh, I'm probably going to run a parallel track, investing in a, a bunch of different companies I have already. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do three or four boards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully... Travel a little less? Or? Travel a little less, but still love to travel. And sure. uh, I'm gonna, whatever I'm going to do, invest and do boards, we'll have travel because I, I can't change the speed that sure. I do. So that parallel track and uh, hopefully come back to Retail Council Canada and speak some more. Well, thanks so much for spending time Pleasure. with me. Uh, it was a great interview, and we've known each other for quite a while, so thanks. it's such a treat just to, to have the opportunity to speak with you today. It was my pleasure, Michael. Thanks very much. Thanks to Kayleen and Willie for being my special guests in this episode, and stay tuned for more interviews from the Pure Later Podcasting Studio in episodes to come. Now let's hit the highlights from Retail This Week e-newsletter, the companion piece to the Voice of Retail podcast. It's the biggest retail e-news weekly in Canada, and you can subscribe on retailcouncil.org for free. So let's get things started with uh, leading off the news. Hudson's Bay's Richard Baker leads a $1 million 
$1 billion bid to take the retailer private. This is from the Globe and Mail. Oh, by the way, uh, congratulations to Marina Strauss for uh, a long and great career as the retail reporter for the Globe and Mail. She announced her retirement this week, but uh, knowing Marina, it won't be exactly a retirement off uh, doing nothing. It will be uh, busy, a busy life, no doubt, and uh, we wish her well great chronicle, chronicler of retail over the past uh, couple of decades and uh, a real special contributor to uh, the retail landscape in Canada. Anyway, back to the news. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, the market seemed to react positively, I guess, uh, in as much as the stock price went up 40-some percent, uh, given that there is a price premium paid uh, per share for what the existing stock price was sitting at. We're talking about Hudson's Bay. Uh, um, so uh, the idea is taking it uh, Taking it private, get out of the uh, the glare, um, and uh, I'm not sure if it's gonna how it's going to address all the various issues. There's two schools of thought really about Hudson's Bay as this large enterprise. One is its best and biggest value lies in its real estate, and the other is is its great brands. Right? It's got uh, you know Saks, and it's got of course Hudson's Bay, the Bay in Canada. So uh, we wish them well. There's a lot been written on this. Uh, do check out uh, the number of uh, very different articles. Not done deal yet. The the privatization, uh, but it does give them perhaps some time to uh, to reflect on uh, and move in ways that they need to move. They've just uh, you know the uh, new CEO Helena Folks has been making uh, a lot of moves. Some of which were already underway uh, when she arrived, uh, selling the Lord and Taylor Building uh, in downtown on Fifth Avenue for what eight hundred. Uh, million dollars to uh, to WeWork uh, and closing home outfitter stores in Canada, 27 of those uh, home outfitter stores. So lots of things underway. Uh, so we wish them the best in terms of uh, being able to turn the business around. Results uh, coming out actually this week uh, were not so great. And, and uh, But I think, again, uh, you know, when you buy assortment, they talked about uh, lowering a uh, lower price point of assortment. You know, these decisions are made uh, like a year in advance. So um, we'll see what uh, imprint Helena folks can make on uh, on Hudson's Bay. And, of course, we wish them well. You know, there's a video I included here with uh, Amazon Worldwide Consumer Chief Jeff Wilkie. And, and it's a rare uh, look into Amazon. It's quite a lengthy interview, actually. And, and it's the you know it's closest you're going to get to an interview with uh, Jeff Bezos. So be sure and check that out. There's also a, a video, uh, some good news, I guess you could say. Police arrest 22 sub, uh, suspects. Connection with robberies at cell phone stores across Canada, or sorry, across GTA. Uh, this is the kind of uh, break in on uh, mass and, and grab phones and run, and it's uh, it's become very violent and it is spreading across the country. So it's great that the uh, police have made some serious arrests in the GTA. Uh, Swedish expansion, Fall Ravens. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, the backpack brand you would have seen it if you're in Toronto. You'd see it all over the TTC, otherwhere in Canada. They're quite expansion, actually. I didn't know. Uh, how many stores they had, but it's a Swedish hiking adventure company. This is from Strategy Magazine, by the way. Uh, they came into uh, Vancouver in 2014, then later expanded to Banff, Alberta, Kits Beach, or sorry, Kitsilano, uh, Victoria, BC, Montreal. 2018 opened a flagship in Toronto, and it's just added its sixth location in Calgary in uh, May. So they continue uh, to expand, kind of a hot brand. And speaking of hot issues, I'm here at the uh, Consumer Goods Forum, Global Summit of Vancouver. Actually, I'm podcasting with an amazing Vista view of, uh, of Vancouver out, uh, out the window at the Vancouver Convention Center. And uh, speaking of hot issues, as I said, plastics. Plastics uh, came up several times uh, today. Galen Weston uh, gave a great presentation on uh, some leadership initiatives that he's doing industry-wide 
we know that uh, we need to re- reduce plastics, of course, announced by the federal government a move to reduce uh, single-use plastics, actually eliminate them. Uh, so uh, this article actually speaks to, uh, you know, we've had at Retail Council of Canada experience with different municipalities, right down the municipality level, setting different stands for, for plastic bags. It's very difficult to operate within for retailers, this kind of a patchwork of legislation. So the preferred route is certainly a collaborative approach where we have a national approach, both collaborative and national, so that we have standards across the country and uh, we can really dig into this issue. So anyway, good article there from, uh, from CBC with some quotes uh, from the great Jim Cormier, from, uh, from um, our Atlantic director from the Retail Council of Canada. Article here from uh, to- Retail Insider, cannabis brand Tokyo Smoke plans cross-Canada retail store expansion. Uh, things are really starting to pick up in the cannabis space. Uh, we're seeing inventory uh, actually resolve and, and you're starting to see supply open up. Uh, of course, now already people are saying there's going to be too much supply very soon, but we'll see uh, if, you know, less a problem for retailers, more for the LPs. But anyway, great article there uh, in Retail Insider. Uh, some uh, stats issued, Canadians buy less, spend more than Americans online. So this is Strategy Magazine. This is reporting on some stats uh, issued by Shopify, who did uh, some very comprehensive research and just released that uh, this week. Uh, retail around the world, uh, Stitch Fix, good article on Stitch Fix of Market Watch talking about that the fact that they're uh, on a growth traje- trajectory, back on a growth trajectory. I like this brand. It's just packages that arrive at home. It's a lot of AI and really clever stuff going on. You know, from a stock price, they've bounced up and down and sideways. Uh, they're on a bit of a trajectory forward. So, you know, we're not really talking about their stock price, but we are talking about, um, you know, how that model is, is sticking uh, with consumers, that from Market Watch. Uh, will the once, this is a good article from Retail Dive, will the once marvelous department stores ever come back? It's interesting because the article highlights that a lot of the innovations, the things that we create or call innovations today were really created a century ago um, and were standard amenities at department stores. So it's a really interesting perspective on the department stores and their role in the history of retail and, and will they be history? Uh, or what is their role in modern retail? Uh, Ted Baker. Ted Baker looks like a bit of trouble. Shares nosedive after a very uh, what they described as an extremely difficult start to 2019. Uh, that from the Globe and Mail. Uh, and speaking of difficult, uh, difficult starts. And speaking of. Uh, Going private, I guess not really going private. Barnes & Noble is sold to a hedge fund after a tumultuous year. They've had many, many uh, CEOs who've kind of come and gone. And now it's been acquired by the hedge fund Elliott Advisors, $638 million. Um, and so for the, you know, for the time being, we'll see if it's patient money or how patient it is. Uh, but certainly it's calmed fears amongst publishers and agents that the bookstore is going to go under. Um, and this from the New York Times, a good article there. And then Walmart overhauls Jet.com. So interesting week for Walmart uh, e-commerce. Mark Laurie put out a, a video, kind of a, almost a, a stunt, really, because he was announcing the video. We, they were announcing uh, in-home delivery, and Mark put the body cam on and did a delivery. Um, but in, back at Jet.com, where he came from, it uh, looks like Walmart's not happy with their with that division's results. Uh, so um, good article here from the Globe and Mail talking about the reduce in scope of Jet.com, probably a consolidation, if nothing else. In news for retail entrepreneurs, longtime Kingston grocery store owners retiring, Gord and Kim McGregor. Congratulations to them. They ran the uh, Gord and Kim's No Frills. If you are, uh, visited Kingston, you would uh, be very well just off Bath Road. They're retiring. Congratulations to them. This is an interesting one from Global News. Toronto using concrete blocks to prevent unlicensed marijuana dispensaries from reopening. you got to check this picture out. So I guess they closed this dispensary once, and, and the uh, dispensary owners popped back in and reopened it. So the city went and put 
uh, about a dozen concrete blocks in the front of the store. So they ain't opening through those concrete blocks. So that was kind of interesting, uh, a different and interesting approach. Uh, Russell Books looks to move in downtown uh, in, in Victoria, where I just was. Had a great uh, time in Victoria and had a uh, opportunity to interview a great retailer, Bobby Anson, uh, from Heritage Linens. You'll hear that uh, in the weeks to come, that interview. Uh, convenience store is convenience is king for book buyers. This is from Booknet Canada, and uh, what else we've got? So let's look at spotlight on grocery retail. Uh, great article here uh, from the Star talking about uh, really what was said between uh, uh, on the main stage at store. Tough lessons from Tim Horton, senior exec, speaks out on success and failures. Uh, that's a discussion with uh, Duncan Fulton, ex of uh, Canadian Tire, now a top executive at Tim Hortons. Uh, he was on the stage, shared the stage with uh, Kevin DePeekster, president of Microsoft Canada. So check that out. It's an article written on that in the Toronto Star. A uh, big initiative here uh, reported in the Globe and Mail from uh, Loblaw. They they paired up with Toronto Startup Flash Food uh, to reduce waste. So um, they've piloted, they being Loblaws, have piloted the program. And uh, now it's 139 maxi Provigo stores in Quebec, 37 real Canadian stores in Ontario. Uh, now it's out in BC, 250 outlets in total by the summer's end. So do check that out. It's an interesting and innovative approach uh, to reduce food waste. Congratulations for them. Uh, Save on Foods, great Daryl Jones. Actually, I just was chatting with Daryl here in Vancouver, his hometown. Uh, as I'm here, uh, sitting here in Vancouver doing this podcast, I'm at the Consumer Goods Forum Global Summit, and I have the amazing view of, uh, of the harbor here in, uh, in Vancouver as I record this podcast. Uh, so anyway, Daryl Jones, uh, Save on Food, surpasses six-year food waste reduction in six months. Congratulations uh, to the great Daryl Jones. And uh, they, uh, not in some ways unlike um, uh, Loblaw, has found partners uh, in this endeavor in collaboration with BC-based organization Food Mesh and Loop Resource and Food Banks BC. So uh, congratulations, 86 Save on Food stores uh, more than half its locations are diverting 100% of their unsaleable, perishable goods from landfills. Congratulations to Daryl Jones. Last but not least, in the grocery, Metro launches eGrocery in Toronto. We've covered this a couple times before, but uh, at three years after launching online grocery in uh, Quebec as a pilot, uh, the third largest grocer that's being Metro is now bringing full-on service to Ontario. That from Canadian Grocer. So that's a wrap on this edition of The Voice of Retail. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, and be sure and recommend to a friend or colleague in the retail industry. You can also ask your favorite home devices, Amazon Echo, Google Home, to play the most recent edition. I'm Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of Amy LeBlanc Company, Inc., and you can learn more about me at www.meleblanc.co or, of course, on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great week.